Salvete omnes, welcome to the AP Latin Podcast. The goal of this podcast will be to cover the lines from Caesar's De Bello Gallico and Virgil's Aeneid that are found on the AP Latin curriculum. Each two-part episode will cover a selection of lines from Caesar and Virgil. I will present the Latin and English of the text, providing relevant clarification, background, and cultural information that will help put the readings in their proper context. I encourage you to read along with me as you listen to the Latin and to use the English as a way to check your understanding rather than relying on the English for understanding. Each episode will conclude with some essential questions to consider as you process through the meaning of the text. Parati, Aeamos. AP Latin Podcast, Episode 23b, Aeneid Book 6, Lines 450-476. to In this episode, you will learn that Aeneas is basically clueless, and you will see Dido get some passive-aggressive revenge. Interquas Poinissa rekens a vulneradido erabat silwin magna, quam troios eras ut primum juxta stetit agnovitque per umbras obscuram, qualem primo qui surgera mense aut videt aut vidisse putat per nubila lunam, demisit lacrimas dulci quad fatus amorest. In Felix Dido verus mihi nuntius ergo venerat extinctam ferro quextrema secutam. Funeris heu tibi causa fui, per sidera euro, per superos, et sequa fides tellure subimest, in vitus regina, tuo de litera cesi. Sed me, usa deum, quae nunc has ira per umbras, per loca sinta situ cogunt, noctemque profundam. Imperiis egera suis, nec credere quiwi, hunc tantum tibi me discesu fere dolorem. Siste gradum, te qua spectu ne subtrahe nostro, quim fugis, extremum fato quod te ad locor hoc est. Talibus aeneas ardentem et torva tuentem lenibat dictis animum, lacrimasque quiebat. Illa solo fixos oculos aversa tenebat, nec magis incepto vultum sermone moetur quam si dura silex, aut stet marpesia cautes. Tandem corripuit se sat quinemica refugit in nemus umbriferum, conjunx ubi pristinus illi respondet curis, aequatque sicaios amorem. Nec minus aeneas casu percusus iniquo prosequitur lacrimis longe, et miseratur eontem. Among whom Phoenician Dido, fresh from her wound, was wandering in the great wood, whom, as the Trojan hero stood nearby and recognized her dim through the shadows, like someone who at the first of the month either sees or thinks that he sees the moon rising through the clouds, he released tears and addressed her with sweet love. Unfortunate Dido, a true message then had come to me that you had been destroyed and had followed extremes by the sword. Alas, was I the cause of a funeral for you. I swear by the stars, by the gods on high, and if there is any faith under the bottom of the earth, unwillingly, queen, I left from your shore. But the commands of the gods, which now compel me to go through these shades, through places rough with neglect and the deep night, drove me with their orders. Nor was I able to believe that I was bringing this so great grief to you by my departure. Stay your step, and do not withdraw yourself from our gaze. Whom do you flee? This is the last thing which I address to you by fate. With such words, Aeneas was trying to soothe her mind, burning and watching him grimly, and was stirring up tears. 
That one, having turned away, was holding her eyes fixed on the ground, and is no more moved in her expression by the conversation begun than if hard flint or marpesian rock were standing there. Finally, she carried herself away, and hostile, fled back into the shade-bearing grove, where her former husband Sicaeus responds to her in cares and matches her love. Aeneas, nonetheless, struck by her harsh misfortune, pursues her with tears from afar and pities her going. In the lines preceding this section, Aeneas and the Sibyl wander through some of the areas of the underworld, including the sections reserved for infants, for the souls of those wrongly condemned to die, and for suicides, before they come across a place called the Fields of Mourning. This is a specific area reserved, according to Virgil, for those whom harsh love consumes with cruel wasting away. It is in this grove that Aeneas sees Dido walking with her wound still fresh, and Virgil uses a simile to paint a picture of how Aeneas recognized her, like someone catching a glimpse of the new moon through the clouds, giving us an image of darkness and thick fog and a brief glimpse of what looks like a source of light. He approaches her and talks to her, beginning by expressing his disbelief. Oh my gosh, did I cause you to kill yourself? I had no idea that you would do this. I mean, I know you told me at least three times that you were going to die and had nothing left to live for, but I had no clue whatsoever that you were going to die and had nothing left to live for. I just can't believe that this happened. And then he does a bit more of the gods made me do it justifying. None of his speech is particularly convincing, but there is one point that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. He claims that the gods are making him travel to the underworld, but that isn't really the case. Although they did make him leave Carthage, he is in the underworld by his own volition. He asked the Sibyl to take him beneath the earth when he heard his prophecy. Although Aeneas is justifying himself here, there actually seems to be an inversion of roles in this speech, where Aeneas's language mirrors as much what Dido says in her final speech to him as anything that he said to her. Dido's statement Mene Fugis in Book 4 is mirrored in Aeneas's Quim Fugis here. Dido begs, by her tears and right hand and their marriage and wedding vows, and Aeneas swears by the stars, by the gods, and by any faiths that exist in the underworld. And even in their post-speech reactions, they mirror each other. In Book 4, Aeneas stands with his eyes unmoved, and here Dido stands with her eyes fixed on the ground. Dido doesn't say anything, and Virgil doesn't immediately describe how Dido reacts. Instead, he lets you know exactly what she is doing through Aeneas's reactions to her, helping you imagine her as she turns and starts walking away when he starts asking her to stop and not to leave. And just as Aeneas didn't respond to her in Book 4, Dido does not respond to him. She is described as flint or Marpesian rock. Marpesia was one of the queens of the Amazons, who helped found the city of Ephesus and also built a city in the Caucasus Mountains bearing the name Marpesian rock or Marpesian cliff. The implication here is that Dido is cold and unfeeling and unmoved, as if she were carved out of stone. Dido walks off and rejoins her husband Sicaeus, so at least she gets a bit of closure and redemption to her tragic story, reuniting with her former love and maybe getting to share in a little measure of happiness. But this raises the question of why Sicaeus is in the fields of mourning in the first place. He didn't die because of love, he died because of Pygmalion's greed. Maybe it's because his love for her somehow indirectly caused his murder, or maybe it's meant to show that his final thoughts were of her, that he died with his love for her in his heart and his grief that he was leaving her alone. It could also be so that Dido can get closure to her story, because plot. Connected to that question is another that isn't technically relevant to the AP syllabus, but these are the types of thoughts that keep me up until 2am. Aeneas doesn't see his wife Creusa anywhere in the underworld. Is that because she isn't there? 
Is that because she was never buried? He never found her body in Troy, and he left in exile after her ghost told him to leave. Does that mean that she's one of the souls that has to wait a hundred years before she can enter? Dido made it across the river because she was buried. Ovid even recorded her epitaph, as I mentioned in episode 20. But there's no Creusa. We'll never know, but it does give you something to think about. So Dido walks off and rejoins her husband, leaving Aeneas following her at a distance and watching her, only a little creepily, and made only a little awkward when you remember that the Sibyl has been standing silently beside him the whole time. Next time, we reach our final episode, where Aeneas will at last see his dad, and Virgil will lament the fate of one special Roman youth. As we close out the episode, here are some essential questions to consider. How does Virgil effectively use darkness and light imagery to describe the events in this scene? What literal wound is Dido bearing? What figurative one? Is Aeneas' speech to Dido a compelling self-defense or not? How does Aeneas' final speech to Dido mirror Dido's final speech to Aeneas in Book 4? How does Virgil give Dido's character some closure and comfort? Aeneas has pitied the fates of several people he has seen in the underworld. How is this ironic, considering the role of fate in his own life? Gratias ago pro auscultando, valete. <laughs>